0: welcome here at waterstone we invite you to find your story within god's bigger story we are a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of jesus do you ever find yourself thrown into a lifestyle of activity driven exhaustion do you deeply crave rest and peace in the midst of it all god established sabbath rest at the creation of the world and jesus promised rest for our souls yet we don't seem to find it. In this series, we learn how to embrace the Sabbath in our lives. If you'd like to visit and attend in person, come join our services on weekends, Saturday at five or Sundays, 9 and 10.30. Well, welcome to Waterstone. Uh, If you're online, we see you there and we're glad that you are part of this experience. My name's Elliot and I pastor uh, young adults and students here at Waterstone. We're uh, in a series right now talking about rest. Before we jump in too much uh, to what we're going to be looking at today, I want to give you some context for what I call our ridiculous relationship with work and rest, not just in the West, but specifically here in America. Um, and it's going to go all the way back from 1879 through this past Monday. So we ready to go? Oh yeah, get ready for it. All right, so 1879, your boy Thomas Edison creates a little thing called the light bulb, right? Changes the way we interact with work because now we can stay up. We no longer have to go to sleep with the moon, wake up with the sun. Historians estimate that uh, we as humans receive somewhere between 10 and a half to 12 hours of sleep a night prior to the light bulb. Today, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 11 hours of sleep is kind of the average that they can agree upon. After 1879 and Thomas Edison, the average person received about nine hours of sleep. In America today, what do you think it is? Any guesses? Sixes? I heard someone with an infant say three Right? All right. It's seven hours of sleep. So let's just begin. Let's think about that. That in 150 years or so, humans have gone from around 11 hours of sleep a night to we in this room most likely average about seven hours. All right. Fast forward. 1967, there is a famous Senate subcommittee that looks at technological advances, how things are changing, um, artificial intelligence and AI... And they project that by 1985, you and I will average 22 hours a week for only 27 weeks a year. Can we all get a deep belly laughter going right now? You know what's interesting is um, between uh, now and 1979, it's a lot of dates here, I know, but 1979 to today, Americans actually work on average four more weeks a year than we did in 1979. It's really interesting. In fact, a Harvard Business Review, if you've ever read their articles or anything they've published, in 2016 they published an article looking at how we as Americans perceive status and how that's changed. So for instance, looking at car commercials... 30 years ago, even in the early 90s, the car company Cadillac portrayed the wealthy and successful leisurely laying by pools, walking out of big beautiful houses slowly and getting comfortably into their cars. Today, car companies like Cadillac and other companies portray the wealth the wealthy and successful as getting out of skyscrapers jumping into a car busy zooming through traffic in seattle new york and never resting our relationship with rest and work has changed over the years over hundreds of years and it's ridiculous um this past week i was driving on bowls right here i was heading from the building from church to uh, southwest plaza to meet with my boss billy lloyd he's our executive pastor And There was a car in the left lane going the speed limit. God forbid someone go the speed limit in the left lane, right? So I was frustrated. I did what any good pastor would do. I got over on the right, zoomed ahead of him, cut the person off, and kept going. Now, good for all of you, I was able to actually take a photo with the person that I cut off one minute later. I'm not joking. (laughs) i got to be careful, by the way, because my insurance guy is literally in the audience right now. Um, I cut off a state trooper because I was in a rush. That's not a joke, all right? You can laugh. My wife didn't laugh. When I asked the state trooper after getting the ticket, I said, do you guys have any coupons or, like, running any specials right now? She even laughed, which I've heard from my police officer friends is actually quite an impressive thing to make a state trooper laugh but but it is our relationship with work and rest is ridiculous it's silly but it's also serious if you're a follower of jesus it's serious because jesus took rest seriously to put it another way and maybe just look you and i in the eyes this morning if you're a follower of jesus jesus takes your rest seriously That's why we're slowing down and looking for a few weeks, just a few weeks out of the year, at how we rest and our relationship with resting. In a moment, I'm going to read a passage from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospels are kind of like autobiography or biographies about Jesus's life. And I'm going to read just three verses. That's all we're looking at today. We're going to keep it simple. But I want you to really listen as I read these verses, They're not um, narrative. They're not a person who knew Jesus, who's recording what Jesus did. They're actually someone who heard Jesus say these words and then repeats them and writes them down for us to hear. And so as I read them out loud, these three verses, I'd encourage you, if you're an auditory learner, in other words, you can hear and you learn better that way, to just close your eyes and listen. And if you're more visual, then just read along as I read out loud. But I really want us to pause and hear these words today. So it's Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. Jesus says, says this to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Jesus, right here in verse 28, Jesus gives an invitation to you, to you in six months when you forget this message, to you tomorrow when it's Monday morning. He invites all of us all of us who are weary and burdened, and what he's inviting us to is rest. Now, before we unintentionally straw man Jesus, and we try to check out, and we think the rest of this message is really just about idle waste of time that you and I don't have time for, let's slow down and recognize that Jesus is actually saying, rest for your souls. The word here rest is interesting. It's specifically an agricultural term that means to pause in order to restore strength. In other words, this isn't Netflix and chill. This is a purposeful pause, one that restores your soul. That's what Jesus is inviting you to, not to be idle, but to be renewed. And then he says to these two categories, the weary and the burdened. The weary you can think about as physically tired. Uh, The word weary means um, exhausted, um, fatigued. I mean, it's the most physical that you can get when it comes to um, uh, not having energy. For, for us, these are people in our audience, this is us today, where our schedules, we might have normalized, but they shouldn't be a normal thing. Our, our schedules are crazy, where we wake up to the blaring of an alarm, and we go through our day hurrying and rushed. And even when we get a moment where we can slow down and pause, for some reason, we can't actually feel rest and slow inside. Jesus says, if you are physically tired, come to me and I will give you rest. And then the word burden, I want you to be thinking physical and non-physical. The word burden really means, um, it means burden, but, but it's, it's like a, a ship's cargo, like carrying a load. Uh, Jesus talked about your baggage before your high school or college boyfriend ever did. Jesus is saying that we carry things with us that are non-physical. And they might manifest in physical ways. And many of you know what I mean. Things that make us tired and weary just to walk around with, but they're not physical. They're emotional, mental, spiritual, relational. Jesus is inviting us. I don't want you to miss this invitation. He's inviting us comprehensively. He's saying bring your whole life, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, come to me and I will give you rest. My concern is that some of us, well this is good, some of us hear this and we resonate. We think I get that. I feel weary. Jesus's invitation resonates with me. There are things in my life, relationships, a schedule, a rhythm of life that's not sustainable even if I sustain it somehow. But others of us, maybe you're in a good season. Maybe you haven't realized your rhythm is not sustainable, because we've all been there, or many of us have. But we might miss the importance or the need for this invitation. You know, when I think about um, our rest versus work life, I think about a budget. We know that when we have a budget financially, that if we spend all the money we have in this pie chart, and even more, that at the end of the month, we're at a deficit. And life has stop gaps to prevent us from living this way. This is what bills are, credit scores, or um, loans. You can't purchase things that you want. You can't pay off things you need to if you use up all your resources financially. But what concerns me for us as a church Is that we can keep going if we use up all our resources of our time and energy. There are no stopgaps in life. There are things that we don't have, like over here, we don't have savings or investments or money to play with. And those things might be like creativity. The ability to think forward and dream. Presence. Being able to be where you are in that moment, slowing to actually sense God's peace with us, not being impatient. These are the things we truly miss out on, but guess what? We all know you can live a life without these. And so if you're in the category where it's a good season or good day or a good week, and this doesn't compel you, I want you to pause and recognize. If you are living without these things, then this invitation is for you as well. So Jesus invites us. He identifies that we live weary and burdened lives. And he calls us, he invites you today and every day to a rest that restores you, that makes you stronger as you live your life. But how does he do this? how do we do this? Jesus says this in verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, we are not farmers. Most of us are not farmers, all right? Someone in here is thinking, slow down, preacher. I got a flower bed in my backyard with some pretty good looking cherry tomatoes. You're not a farmer. You live in Littleton and you have a flower bed. We aren't farmers. So, when we hear the word yoke, we miss what Jesus is really saying. His audience, the first century audience, is thinking of an instrument of work. This beast joined together is what they're, they're thinking of as he's talking about a yoke. It would be like you sitting down with a friend and saying, Man, I'm exhausted. We've, the, the kids are in that stage of life where they're just not sleeping, and my wife and I just can't seem to get in any sort of rhythm, and work just is not, it's just frustrating. And, my, and all of a sudden, your friend puts his hand on your shoulder and says, Man, you just need to get out of the house. Why, why don't you come over on Saturday, come to my place? I've got a third floor apartment, there's no elevator, and I'm moving out, so I need you to help me with all my appliances. You'd be like, What are you thinking? So here's the deal. Is Jesus a thoughtless friend? Did he build up this big invitation for you and for me for a heart level rest and then say, come over and help me move my appliances? Jesus is doing something obviously beyond what we see. So is it a yoke? Is it really an an instrument of work? Yes, but not like we might think. Jesus is actually starting the invitation by saying, yes, it's a yoke. If you follow me, we are joined together. He's saying, and that's why he uses the phrase, learn from me. Jesus says, if you follow me, there is a yoke. And in, in Jesus's day and uh, teachers of the law, they all would have known that the, the idea of a yoke always meant authority and submission. Jesus is being up front and saying, yes, there is a degree to which you are submit not a degree, you are submitting to my authority. He doesn't want to trick us. He's not the neighbor that invites you over for the Super Bowl party and when you show up doesn't even own a TV and starts handing out Scientology pamphlets. <laughs> Jesus is not trying to trick you into following him. He wants you to know What taking on his yoke means, that is a labor of love because God loved us first, that we submit to God's authority. Jesus is essentially saying, it's better to live under my commands than life's demands. Again, Jesus is telling us, I'm going to be upfront with you. I know life is weary, but it is better to live under my commands than life's demands. At other points in the gospel, Jesus um, develops this idea of a yoke, and he does so criticizing the Pharisees, those who taught the law of Moses. In other words, in the Old Testament, God establishes, like Larry, our lead pastor, mentioned last week, the rule of rest. And the Pharisees build off it to try to establish what it means to rest and what it doesn't. And they might have been good intention, but it ends up in a bad place. You see, the Pharisees, they got to a point where they said, okay, external medicine is rest, but internal medicine is not. So if you have an arm that breaks, or your teenage son breaks his arm more realistically, you can put it in a sling or a splint, but you can't give your child wine to try to help with the pain on the Sabbath, because that's internal. And God says, no, you are missing the point. Jesus says, I did not establish a rule of rest so that in the rubric of religion, there's one more row. Jesus says, I established the rule of rest because, crazy idea, I want you to rest. I want you to unload burdens, and not to go through life weary, even though you can muscle your way through. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the natural human way was to try to find good human needs, like acceptance from others, assurance from God, security and safety in ways that exhaust us and tire us out. Jesus says, I understand what you're looking for, but you're looking for it in the wrong way. The natural human way, like the Pharisees or us today, will leave you burnt out. Come, take on my yoke. You see, we do this in the same way. We live in a less religious society, right? Like no one respects you for not taking pain medications from Friday night to Saturday night, it's a different context, yes, but there are still ways that we look for security, for assurance of, of things after life, of um, our, our social standing here in this world that lead us to be exhausted and burnt out. My brother lives in the UK and they start the vast majority of jobs in the UK Start each year with six weeks PTO. In America, how many weeks do the average employer give you? Two. If there's ever a time to hate Paul Revere. Just saying. Think about this. In America, we don't use, really, statistically, many Americans don't use our full two weeks. The UK gets six and we don't even use our full two. And we don't even think the French punch in. (laughs) Come on, a good French joke. No, if you're French, we love you. Many of us go on vacation and feel guilty if we're not being productive or responding to emails. In fact... uh, our culture is one in where you're not affirmed for having healthy relationships with work. In fact, you're affirmed for having poor relationships and boundaries with your job. You know, I love the phrase self-care, especially if you're, I see this all the time, if you're a parent, whether you're a single parent or you're co-parenting and you stay at home and you're the one who's got the primary responsibility with kids. We use the phrase self-care to mean something I have to earn that is not regular or a rhythm in my life, that is usually a one-time event and costs money, maybe is even extravagant. That is not self-care. In preacher school, seminary, I teach you all sorts of stuff, Um, Hebrew and Greek and counseling and all that good stuff. One of the things they teach you, though, is how to um, be appropriately transparent from the front, from kind of this seat right here. How to be uh, vulnerable in a healthy way. And they encourage you to be cautious about what you share. There is a positive side of that. It actually protects all of us so that we don't have an hour-long cathartic counseling session with a middle-aged person we don't know once a week. But the problem with that can be if it's taken too far, you get an illustration from my life, silly, like how I got pulled over by a state trooper for cutting them off for not going fast enough. And that is funny. And you have relatable moments like that. You walk around your house for 15 minutes looking for your eyeglasses, and where are they? We all know. Don't pretend like that's not you. Or you can't find their their remote. Two hours later, you finally go to the fridge to get dessert and it's in there. Like, like, we all have these silly ways. But the problem is, if we don't, if we don't share the ways that are harder to share, but maybe even more relatable, that I think we walk out of here not taking rest seriously, and not realizing how serious Jesus takes it for us. For me, in my life, this came to a head about a month ago, I've been married. You might not know me very well, and that's fine. I've been married uh, just over two and a half years. So arguably in that season where it still should be easy to check all the boxes of what it means to be a really good partner. And I realized as I came home that at the end of the day, I'd given all my emotional energy, mental energy, whatever physical to people in my life. And I'd sit in front of my wife and she would tell me about her day. And in all honesty, what would go through my head was, please stop talking. And that's ugly. That's hard to share. I don't say this um, outside of a confessional spirit. And the worst part is, she would then ask me how my day was. And I would be angry internally. Because all I wanted to do is just lay there, turned away from her, and watch TV. And I didn't even care what we watched. It wasn't like I had a desire for entertainment that was pulling me away from vows I made to love and care and honor my spouse. It was actually that I was so tired, anything other than honoring and caring for my spouse was what I wanted and needed. But many of you resonate with that something is wrong. The natural human way is not working for us. I'm not saying you can't keep it up. You can. And if you choose to, you will. But Jesus invites you to say you can live a different way. So how do we live this way of Jesus? In verse 29, not only does Jesus say, take my yoke, there's a choice there, meaning you cannot take his yoke. But then he says this in verse 29, take my yoke upon you, if you would read this with me, and learn from me. Jesus is inviting you and me to be joined with him and learn the way he lived. In Jesus' day, they would have thought about uh, two animals being yoked together. Now, we think about a picture of the first one you saw where they're yoked equally. But this is actually a very common sight. And this is a modern picture in developing nations all around the world. You'll see this sort of thing where there's a veteran ox paired with a novice ox. And there are two purposes. The first is that the veteran ox keeps the novice one following the right way. It keeps it on track, on track with the way of Jesus, if you would. This is not a stretch. Scholars have said this over and over, that Jesus' audience, they would have heard yoke and thought, yes, instrument of work. But when he said, learn from me, this would have been the mental image that pops in their head. Jesus, especially for the weary, those whose lifestyles and rhythms are tiring, is inviting you to learn from him. So what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus? I think it's, it's two primary ways, our pace and our priorities. When I say pace, I mean this, Jesus lived at a different pace than you and I. Jesus, in, to some people, lived at an annoyingly slow pace. Luke, another gospel, he was a physician, and he writes in Luke five sixteen that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, to pray. In other words, Jesus was comfortable with living at a slow pace. For us, we use the word slow derogatorily. How was the conversation on the blind date? It was kind of slow. How was the service at uh, the restaurant? It was kind of slow. Jesus lived at a different pace. You know, you'll never walk into a Barnes and Noble One, because you order your books on Amazon, but you'll never walk into a Barnes & Noble and see a section that says self-help. And right next to it, living to your limitations, recognizing you probably won't be remembered in a hundred years from this moment. As the church, we need to encourage people that it's okay to live to their limits. That you don't have to win employer of the month 12 months a year. You know, I think if Jesus was a person today, Jesus wouldn't get every pop culture reference. He wouldn't have seen every season of The Man in the High Castle and Stranger Things. He honestly, he wouldn't be up on every band that when you say, have you heard of this band? And we all lie and say, yeah, I think so. Which means like, no, I don't really know. Jesus would just say, no, I probably haven't. What is our pace of life? And and don't get me wrong. Jesus had social dynamics he had to worry about, people who really hated him. Jesus had a father and a mother on earth. He had siblings, we know this. He had close friends like John and Peter, and he had followers like the 12 and then the 70 to 120. Jesus had relationships and responsibilities, but he chose to live at a different pace. What's the pace of your life? If you, don't, if you don't follow Jesus, it's okay to say, you know what, it's not Jesus' pace. But if you follow Jesus, there is a confrontation moment here that we have to ask. Don't feel guilty or judged because your life is hectic. I am learning this myself. But are you willing to evaluate your pace and ask, can I live at a different pace, a pace like Jesus? The second way I think we learn the way of Jesus is by his priorities. His priorities. Jesus doesn't seem to evaluate his life by what he produces. In fact, a few chapters earlier, Jesus has all these people gathered on this hillside. They have no idea. It's going to be the most famous sermon ever talked about in history. It's called the Sermon of the Mount. And he says these words to them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus' priority was his Father's will. If we really think about that, it's so countercultural. If Jesus was a teacher of the Bible now, he would be the most unimpressive pastor ever. He basically plants a movement and then goes away for 40 days on, a sa- on some sort of sabbatical. Think about that. And then when he shows up, he's not well-rested. He's like starving because he fasted that whole time. Jesus, if he was a pastor, the elders would sit down with him and say, dude, you're taking so much time off you're always out of it. We don't even know where you go. And what so-and-so said he found you, and you're just praying that whole time. We got Sunday coming. Jesus' priorities were different. He still had responsibilities, but his pace and his priorities differed. So there are those of us who are weary, we're physically tired, and Jesus' pace and his priorities help us begin to reevaluate and ask ourselves questions about our pace and our priorities. But there are also those of us who are burdened, who carry things every single day with us that are heavy and hard. The second reason Jesus' yoke, the image of a veteran ox with a novice ox, is so significant is not only does the veteran ox show the novice ox, how to walk and follow Jesus's way, but he bears the load, the brunt of the weight that the novice ox that you and I carry. There are four gospels, stories about Jesus's life. There are 89 chapters in all of those combined. There is only one place where Jesus self-describes his heart. Don't get me wrong, we see who Jesus is through his actions and his words all the time, but there's only one place where Jesus self-describes his heart. And I think it speaks to this. If you're in this group today, you need to hear this. Because to the burdened, Jesus describes himself as this. Verse 29, he says, take my yoke, learn from me. Would you read this with me? He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is saying, at the core of who I am, I am God incarnate, we believe as Christians. At the core of who I am, here is a picture into my heart. I am gentle. In other words, Jesus is not reactionary. When we struggle and think, I have done it again, Jesus is not triggered or surprised. And then he says, I am humble. This is an area where the sort of siphon of translation, in other words, a word can mean so much, but the English translator has to choose one, fails us a little bit. Humble, absolutely. But at other translations, maybe even in your own Bible, it actually says gentle and lowly. What Jesus is saying is not a positive, believe it or not. The word in Greek Yes, it can mean humble, but it actually has a negative connotation. It's used most frequently in Koine Greek to mean someone cast down, not by their own choice even, like a slave. Jesus is self-describing himself with such lowly language. It's, it's a negative connotation. Why? I believe what Jesus is saying, knowing that people will write these words down and preach on them in places they didn't even know existed at the time and elsewhere. He is saying, I'm accessible. If you are burdened, if your inner life is a mess, if you secretly suspect that God is that close away from being done with you, If you believe he loves other people, but truthfully from your own experience, he seems to be frustrated and angry at you. If you've prayed for forgiveness for past seasons or moments or things that you still cringe at, if you've gone through heartbreak that other people don't understand, Jesus says, I'm accessible to you. Jesus chooses his words for the burden to say, you can come to me. Whatever level of life you feel you're at, whoever you think others see you as, I'm accessible to you. So to the burden, Jesus first says his character is gentle and lowly, and then he says, I will give you rest for your souls. Verse 29 again. So there is to say the deepest part. So Jesus has gone from saying, you're weary and burdened. I invite you to get rest. Comprehensively for your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual self. But I will give you rest in the deepest places. And then he finishes with this. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, yes, it is a yoke. You're submitting to my way of life if you want to follow this. But here's the thing. You can't experience the life of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus says, easy and light. The word easy, again, this is a moment where the siphon of uh, or funnel of translation tricks us up because it does mean easy, but it also means useful or effective. Fitting. In other words, Jesus is inviting you to a life that fits. John Mark Comer is a pastor in Portland. He says that in the same way Jesus is, or Jesus's or Jesus' teachings are not arbitrary. They're more like moral law, and moral law is like scientific law which is to say scientific law and moral law describe the way the world works. Jesus says, my yoke, my way of life submitting to me, my pace, my priorities, and letting me bear the load with you is the way I've made things to operate. Can you work outside of that? Yes, we do. I do. Is that the way Jesus made the world to work? No. So come and take my yoke. As we wrap today, we have to ask how do we do this? How do we respond to a Jesus that says, You are weary and you are burdened? Come to me and I will give you rest. I believe the answer is that we we respond by asking first, What is the pace of life I live at and what are my priorities? We have to get really practical first. I'd encourage you to ask yourself that, maybe journal about it this week. Seriously, think about that. Talk about it to Jesus, really, on your way to work. That's not over-sentimentalizing Jesus. That's responding to his invitation. Ask people who, like scripture, might give you hard, honest answers, but are always going to be life-giving. Ask the right people. Am I living in the way of Jesus? The second thing I'd encourage you to do is check out this book. And I gotta tell you, I hate when people encourage me to read a book um, because it's like, yes, thank you, no thank you, in the back of my head. I got so many people who encouraged me to read this book. Um, Our middle school pastor, Ben Suji, our teaching pastor, Paul, um, mentors, friends. Finally, it was like, dear please stop. I will read the stinking book. Just leave me alone. And you know what's funny? That moment I told you about sitting down with Madison and feeling convicted, it came because God spoke to me through this book. I think John Mark Comer, the pastor I just quoted, he has summed up the truth of the way of Jesus in a very practical way that's accessible, ironically, for all of us. So we'd encourage you to check out that book. Larry's gonna, um, actually, uh, in a couple weeks, he'll, he'll do some giveaways for this book. That's how much we believe in it. We wanna put it in your hands. It's not the fix-all, but it's an important part of getting practical. But the two last steps are this. One, I think we have to repent. I think in the same way that I repented to my wife, And by the way, later sat down and realized if that's how I'm treating my spouse who's hard to avoid, how am I treating my Savior who's easy to ignore? And so I think we repent. We recognize that in the Ten Commandments, we can honor and respect many of them, but when it comes to rest, that's the one that just seems easy to brush off. And so we say, God, I want your way the way that gives rest to my souls. But first, I need to come to you and say, I have not valued or prioritized that. So we respond by being practical. We repent by bringing this to Jesus and owning that we've not taken his instructions seriously. And finally, we receive his invitation. So here's how we're going to end this service. We're going to invite you as sort of a kinesthetic response to Jesus' invitation, not mine, to God's invitation for you today and the day you forget this, tomorrow or six months, and so on. To say, God, I need, I need the rest that you offer. I want to name this, you're, you're in really comfortable, cushy, maroon, uh, theater-style seating, It'd be easy for you to say, you know what, I'm thanks. I'm just gonna sing and I'm gonna go get lunch. Don't let this moment pass. Jesus wants you to receive his rest. And by standing up, and, and you don't have to stand up. You can sit there and pray if that's what you wanna do. But by saying, I wanna go back and we're gonna anoint your hands. You can just put that out. Our pastors are in the back of the room. We'll have pastors in the front and say, this resonates, God. I don't care if my friend sees me or my child sees me or my mom sees me. I just want your rest. We encourage you to stand now and do that. If you're at home, I'm gonna ask you right now, you can put your hands in a posture of receiving, just open like this. I'm gonna pray a blessing and anointing over you. And then we're gonna have this time to worship. And I'd encourage all of you to get up, to go back and say, Jesus, I need what you offer. I don't know how to even start, but I want to start with this sign of saying, please, please give me rest for my soul. If you're at home, let me pray for you. Jesus, for those who are at home and even those who are here in person, I just pray right now that they would find rest for their souls in the way of Jesus that they would have the weary parts of their life and the burdens they carry lifted by a God who joins with them in this world. In Jesus' precious name, amen.